So the one thing to keep in mind, and this is huge, you've got to keep taxes in mind. What that means is on December 31st, the IRS will look at your account balances and say you owe us tax on whatever that amount is that is growth. If you lose that chunk of money on January 1st, that's your problem. The IRS still says you owe us money for what was in the account as of December 31st. So what you've got to do if you're running an ultra account, running any account actually, be very, very, very aware that if you lose money in early January, you are still on the hook for what you owed from late December. There's a guy that has taken the class before he learned all this stuff. He had a huge year one year. Made something like three quarters of a million dollars trading in the year. By February, he had lost the majority of it. He was on the hook for about 375 grand in tax to Mr. Obama and Mr. Brown. And he had to come up with the money even though he had blown out the trading account or whatever, whatever money method he was using of that, most of that 750K. So he had to pull it from elsewhere. I think he sold a house actually to come up with the dollars, right? And all it is is lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. So be very, very aware. It happened to um, Cisco. A number, I remember reading this a while ago. Cisco had, there were a number of employees, I think, that took stock options. And people have stock options. You can explain this to me. They, they were granted the options. They took them, but they didn't cash them in. And the stock cratered. And they were on the hook for the gain of December 31st that the stock now didn't cover come April 15th. Big IRS court case on that a few years ago. So understand. Don't look at this. Oh, my God. It's a very simple solution. Close the frickin' trade before the end of December. Whatever the gain is, take the money off the table, take half of it out for taxes, and then do with the balance as you wish. Okay, but you've got to be aware of that. You're saying, does that mean that you see a lot of activity at the end of the year where people are closing trades? Potentially. It depends how... There's two ways to think of that. One is they could close the trade, but it's not a taxable event until, it's closed, until you trade. It actually goes the other way where you'll have big gains, people won't want to close the trade December 28th because they'll have to pay the taxes on April 15th. They'll close it on January 3rd because now they've got the extra year, the extra 15 months use of the money. Like you see that a lot, don't you? Where people got the accountant in the room, you see that all the time. So if you have the opportunity of taking a long-term, sorry, whether short-term or long-term, you have the opportunity to take the capital event at the end of December versus January, you don't have to pay the tax bill for 15 months if you wait till Take it in January. It's not a taxable event. Exactly. Right? So what he's saying is, so imagine you've got a, you bought a stock in January, February, and it went against you. You didn't get out when you were supposed to, so now you're sitting on a big loss. The question is, if you close that trade before the end of December, now you can take that, that capital loss and offset it against your earlier gains or other gains that year. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, somebody says, I got to take the loss. Yeah. So here's, what you want. here's a different answer to the question you didn't ask, but something that comes up all the time. So you buy into a stock at 100 bucks, and you didn't get you're supposed to get out when it was at, I don't know, 90, 95, something like that, but you watched it turn into, now it's worth 72. Ah, let's make it worse. It's worth 60. So now you got a $40 loss on the stock, and now it starts to rise. And you think, well, maybe I should get out at 60. Oh, wait, now it's at 61. 62, 63, 64, 60. This is going good. All the way back to 100. Go, baby, go. It's not going to get there, right? It'll go 65, 66, and then it'll roll back over. Then it'll go 64, and it'll drop all the way back down to 60. And then it double bottoms. Then it rises again up to about 65. Hangs there a little bit. Now it rises to about 68. And you, you got your eyes set on 100. 60 to 68 is nothing. Because you're looking at 100 because you want to get back to break even. Now it goes 68 back down to 61. And now it sits there for a little bit. Now it drops down to 57. Now it rises to about 63, 67. And so all that time, you've got your eye from 60 to 100 trying to make the 40 bucks. While you were doing that, there was $40 of movement between 60 and 67. It did it about four times. There was $40 of movement. You're so focused on trying to get your dollars back on the original trade, you missed the opportunities. You'll always think more clearly if you're in cash. If ever you're not sure, go cash. Cash is a position. It's amazing how much more clear you think. Denise, on the question you asked earlier, when should I set the GTC? Immediately, because once you're in the trade, 
the emotional kicks over like, well, I can make another 30 cents if I stick around. Or it's starting to go back and you think, well, just come back down and I'll close it out there. It screws with your thinking. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes. So his question is, where do you set the GTCs for the short term, the very short lived trades? So the five minute trades. Okay. Last bullet on the ultra account. This one will keep you up tonight, by the way, just so you know. It is very, very, very difficult to resist the greed monster. It exists in all of us. Some of us more than others, but it lives in every single one of us. It is an ugly beast. You got to learn to recognize it. You got to learn to resist it. Wait to do this method, this strategy, this approach until you've got many long win streaks with real money under your belt. And then look to do this and start off slow. Okay, this is not, not, this is not about becoming a millionaire in the course of a year on a small account. Take a small amount of money and grow it. What it does, it allows you to push your comfort level in your gut by moving bigger amounts of money in doing this. The whole idea behind this. And it allows you to take significant dents into either like a long-term holding account or into your income account by allowing you to drop in big chunks. It's the whole idea behind this. So if you think back to that pro forma that I had you, that we looked at at the end of class three, and somebody looked at the end of it and go, there's no way these numbers are real. You'll put this in there, the numbers are real. They're definitely real. It's a question of how well you can execute. I got a buddy that runs one of these. His objective was to pay off his mortgage in five years. Lives in about a half a million dollar home, starting with 10 grand. And his thought was he would do three to four trades a year doing this, making 100% per. So do the math on this. So if he did 10 grand, trade one would go to 20, 40, 80. Let's just say he did three. So he had 80 grand at the end of year one. So it's 10 to 80, he loses half in tax. He's got 40 left. Year two, he starts with 40. He's got to be able to press enter with 40 grand. 40 goes to 80. That's trade one, 160, 320. Knocks off half in tax. Now he's got 160 left. Beginning of year three, 160, 320, 640, a million two. Knocks off half of it. There's his house paid for in three years, starting with 10 grand. He got halfway there and vomited. He said, man, it's this, this just messing with me. I cannot do it. And it's, I think you heard me say early on, when you get into this, you'll find that the level of discussion you have with, you heard the fast track guy say this, the level of discussion you have with people is such a different level that you have with other people because it's so emotional, so mental as you do this because you're all focused on the number. You got to focus on the trade. Okay. Now I got y'all thinking, turn to your neighbor, tell them what you're thinking. Talk about this technique. Take about two minutes and we'll keep going. Okay. Think about this for a minute. What we talked about in this earlier, doing the earnings trades, how many did I tell you to find per quarter? About 30, right? And said, you'll expect to see how many? 10 to 15 of those. Doing an earnings trade, if you do them, Charles, you do earnings trades? You see many? 40%, is that easy? Is that not easy, but is that a common? 40% ROI, common number. If you did 10 earnings trades in a quarter at 40% per, it's huge. Do that four quarters. If you start with, do the math. Starting with under five figures, it grows to $16 million by the end of the year. Because you got to press enter with $8 million at the end of the year. I mean, that's, that's some big numbers you got to swing. But understand the numbers are intense, right? The number, there's no problem with the numbers. This is not a question, will this make money? The, there's no question. The question is, do you have the guts to press enter with that many zeros? And do you have, she's saying, no, I don't. You have to. You have to get to that point. Yeah, you got to get to that point because you, you, yeah, when you say you don't, that tells me you're looking at the account balance. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. Has anyone? Of course. In the room, I don't know. I don't know. What, what happens, you notice, Charles, somebody asked somebody in the front of the room saying, how are you doing so far? And I watched how they answered it. You learn as you get more into this. Uh, by the way, fast forward, thank you for coming in and talking about it. Most of the time, they don't want to talk with you guys. And the reason why is you'll ask a question that sounds kind of negative. You know, so how are you really doing? Well, it's very mental. And to hear someone say how you're doing and they say it in kind of a challenging way, they don't need you in their head. It's not, they'd almost rather wear the red color name tag so they think that you think they're just uninformed also, right? I don't mean that in a negative, but you know what I mean? Because it's hugely emotional. You'll notice I never talk about open trades that I've got. I don't, I don't want to hear what you think. I don't want to take the risk of you getting in my head. 
And so by the same token, they're a little less likely to say how they're doing. There's some people there that have said, I know they're doing well, and they said, please never call on me. Peter hadn't told me that yet. Don't do it. But there's a number of people that have said that they're doing well, but they don't want me to call them because they, be, they don't want new best friends. And they don't want somebody getting in their head. I respect that. Totally understand. But has somebody pushed lots of millions? Go look at, look at the volume on, if you want to really get into it, you don't waste your time, but look at the volume on options and find someone that did a big chunk on an option. Just do the math. You can figure the math. They've done it. Yes, sir. Was that you? <laughs> you want new best friends? <laughs> uh, north of a million. Yeah, over a million. Oh, options trade? Stock, yeah, stock trade, seven figures. Uh, that was fine. Stock trade was seven figures. Uh, options trade was six figures. Low set, like over 100. With my own money. Right? Other people's money, I've pushed a lot more than that. And it's, yeah, that, and part, uh, cover the mic, that really screws with your head. Honestly, that screws with your head more than anything I ever would have guessed. Because I, I watch your re, people read, if we're doing well, they go, oh, you're a great guy. If we're doing shitty, they go, oh, you're, you're okay. But, and it's weird because you're not less of a person if you have a shitty year or a bad month. And you're not a better person if you have a great year. And you have to, I didn't really think that would be a problem. You got to get over that. That was a huge obstacle that I never even considered in running other people. I'm not worried about losing their money because my money is in there too. But watching the reactions, they think you're better because you're making them money or that you're less because you're losing them. It's like, dude, my money's losing too. Or my money, you know, and it's just, it's weird how it gets in your head. But just it, six figures on option trade, done that. And a million on a stock trade. Yeah. What's that? Well, then, it, exactly. Which means you, I used to tell people years ago, people say, well, will you manage money for me? I'd say, how about if I do this? I'll pay you not to manage your money. And they'll think about it. Uh, why would you do that? Yeah, exactly. They'll take it. But it's, it's not worth the headache. But in order, to, and I went years ago, I read Buffett's book and realized that's how he got so big. It's not with his own. He's doing it with others. And that's what kind of clicked for me one day. It's like, ah, if you want to get to that level, you got to do it with, you got to get some leverage. Not just with options, but with other people's money. The book is Snowball. If you ever want to go read it. It's, about, it's, a, it's a weapon. It's about four inches thick. Get through all the other books first. Snowball. Snowball. If you push a lot of money, do you get a call from the government? I don't know. I'm not there. I, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah, let me know. I wouldn't worry about it. You're, that's the greed monster. Y'all want to know who the gunslinger is in the room? <laughs> He's up here in a gray hat. Does every stock have a market maker? Yes. And some stocks have multiple market makers. Guido. Yeah, Vinny. Up there. All right, we're getting off topic. Point on the ultra. So if you do through earnings cycle, if you do a 40% ROI, 10 to 15 of these per quarter, the number is huge. One other number in here that was huge. Oh, one way to do this. Peter, can you find two good trades in a month? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No problem. Right? You do 40% on a trade, oh, but you could do 40% on a trade. That's 24 trades. Anybody got a financial calculator? Take 1.4 Y to the X24. Yeah, wow's right. That'll buy about five of those HuntingtonHarborHomes.com that I had my eye on for Foldera. It's a huge amount of money by doing two trades a month at a 40% ROI. The number's gross. You'll vomit before you get that big, right? Please get to that promo. Let me know. Call, I'll... What hotel in the world do you want to trade? I'll fly us both there first class. I just want to watch you press enter. That'd be cool to see. <laughs> I'd love doing that. Wherever you want to stay, we'll go do it. That would be fun. Peter, what's your batting average? So all the trades are not going to work. And he only has to have one trade where you lose everything you start all over. Peter, what's been your biggest loss? <laughs> but have you taken 100% loss? Not dollars on a percentage. So... Yeah, it goes back, and news can kill you on this, right? If you get gap on news, toast, which is why we don't do it in the trading account. This is totally Vegas money, right? You say, I, I recognize it could go this much and go to zero, poof, gone. Yeah, it really is. But angel investing in a 24-hour period, right? usually angel investing takes a couple years to lose it all, right? This could lose in a couple hours. Yeah. What's been your longest batting average or longest win streak? So... Here's a doable. Now, what stops, can I put you on the hot seat? You'll never come back to class if I do this. What stops you from doing this? That's fine. So if you listen, so it's the number that's, and Peter, you understand, I'm not ripping on you. It's just, it's just the voice of experience. All it is is the number of zeros he starts paying attention to. But if it's a small trade, do you look at the dollar amount or you look at the trade? So you're looking at the chart. 
But as, you, as the number gets bigger on the trade size, you also look at the account balance, right? And that, we all run into that. And you got to be able to push your way through that. And what's interesting, when you have no money, you know, you'll freak out at a $5,000 trade. As your net worth grows, you freak out at a 10 or a 20 or a $50,000 trade. And that number just keeps growing as the bigger your wealth amount is. I, I haven't done it in a while. I do an example sometimes. I'll bring somebody up to the front of the room to draw the example. I've got probably 1000 or 1500 bucks in my pocket, right? And what I'll do is I'll bring a, a couple people and I'll try and usually I'll have an idea just by watching people who is very uncomfortable holding that amount of cash. And what I'll do is I'll lay 1500 bucks in their pocket and watch their reaction because they're like, they kind of look at it because most people don't carry cash. And they don't listen to me for like two minutes because they're kind of touching the money and like, I, they haven't held this much cash ever or in a long time. And then what I try and do is show the example of let's do a thousand dollar trade and they'll pull a dollar out of that 1500 bucks. And that's, you know, so they're worth net worth a million five, right? Just in relative terms, they pulled out a thousand bucks. What'll happen is that dollar that's on the table, they won't look at the dollar that's on the table. They're still looking at the $1,500 in their pocket, right? Just kind of focused on that and not worried about the dollar. And what happens is that applies with most of us too. If you've got a large net worth, when you do a small amount of, of a trade size, a lot of times if you're not respecting the money, you'll focus on your net worth, your 1500 bucks, as opposed to the dollar that's at risk. And conversely, I'll bring up somebody, I'll say, you have $10 and they do the same dollar trade. They watch that dollar like a hawk because that is 10% of their net worth. The other person, it doesn't matter. It's a dollar out of 1500, it's no big deal. Right? And they'll let that one ride. Well, let's see, maybe that dollar will turn into five. Right? It never will. But, and it's the psychology of that. You're focused on your net worth as opposed to the trade size. you got to focus on the trade, not the trade size. So, and it happens to everybody. Just, it's, it's part of the development process. All right. Did I have you talk to your neighbor about this already? I did, right? Okay. Bottom line on this, it's discipline. you got to recognize a quality trade, and you have to have the discipline to exit a trade when it's not working and to exit a trade when it is working and exit properly. You've got to be able to do that. If you can't do that, don't think about this technique. Don't ever think about this technique till you can do that comfortably, confidently, and consistently. Next piece, Jenny Craig. Jenny Craig, if y'all, anyone not know who Jenny Craig is, like Weight Watchers? Okay, so Jenny Craig is a simple, stupid little term I put on this. The idea is to sell something fat and buy it when it's skinny. Jenny Craig. Okay, we're selling fat, we're buying skinny. So the idea behind this, and again, this one says don't even practice this until you can comfortably and accurately make predictions about stock movement. You probably will start this one after you do the ultra. So you're going to not do ultra for probably a couple of years. And after you get that down and kind of master getting your head around that, then I would look to maybe employ the Jenny Craig technique. Remember Ron Popeil, is that how you say his name? The set it and forget it guy? This trade is almost a set it and forget it. Is that how you say his name? Ron Popeil? That set it and forget it? Yeah, the pocket. That and also the little Ronco chicken spinner thing. So what happens is this trade takes very little, almost no monitoring. So once you're in the trade, you don't need to watch it. You look at it at the market open every day just to be sure it didn't crater on you. What I have done with this, I've used it to make a monthly payment on something. So I could afford the payment off of my income account, but I just did this to kind of keep me interested. So I had the cash backup if this account blew up, but the idea was to take this amount of money and try and grow it to pay for my toy. And it's all about, it's money management, if you will, just trying to keep it interesting. If you think about it too, from a money management view, you've got that financial house. Your smallest ROIs come from which account? Long-term holdings. Where do your largest ROIs come from? The trading account. Trading account, you get ROIs like this. Long-term holdings, you see this. Your income account is more like this. There's a big step down from trading to income to long-term holdings. The idea, what I've come up with this, is to have another little pocket of money that's got not as bad of an ROI on the long-term holdings, but something that kind of keeps you engaged and just keep growing the pot of money and give yourself some kind of a reward for it. It's really about however you want to train your brain to keep you engaged. What happens is call premiums can be inflated. They're inflated for some reason. Don't know what the reason is, don't care, but it's some known volatility or likely future volatility that is present. So as an example, if we've got earnings coming up tomorrow on a company, 
When we go to buy call options on that company today, the options are going to be inflated because the market maker knows that there will be some people out there that will say, hey, IBM's going to announce earnings tomorrow. Let me buy a call option just before the close. And if it works, I'll cash in really big. Market maker understands that's what he's going to do is he's going to raise the price on the call options before you get in. He's going to, it's like going to a, a high-end nightclub. It's very popular. You've got to pay more at the door to get in. Go down the street, the place is a dump, and there's nobody in there, they'll let you in for free. But the quality ones, you got to pay to get in. Same concept with options. So what we're going to do on this, the options get inflated because of some known pending news event. So what you do is you research to see what that pending news event is. Is it a legal case? Is it an FDA approval? Could it be earnings? Who knows? Could be any number of things, but you want to understand what that is. The market maker is going to jack up or inflate the premiums. It's called implied volatilities, implied volatility rush. Basically, the balloon inflates. What you're going to do is buy stock and then sell calls, sell that inflated premium. So you're going to sell the high price. And then you wait to either get exercised or if that news event goes against you, you look to buy back those calls at now a deflated price. So you're selling high and then looking to buy low and maybe have to sell the stock down there too, depending how bad the stock goes against you. So what you're doing is you're selling fat. You're selling a fat premium on the call options. Let the news hit and then you buy back skinny. Sell fat, buy skinny, like Jenny Craig. Okay? Silly name. I suppose I ought to put like a TM mark or something up there, huh? The way you're going to do this, you're going to use a stock screener in your broker's platform. I've seen this on Options Express. I've seen it on Fidelity. I've seen it on Schwab, or the three that I've looked at. Remember the first line says, don't worry about this for a while. So if you're new, don't call me and say, where is this? Right? Once you get to this point, call me. I'll step you through it on the phone. It's kind of hard to explain. What you're going to do, though, in that screener, we're looking for optionable stocks. We're going to be looking at calls, but we're looking for optionable stocks that have very high in-the-money call premiums for current month. So this month's options have an inflated call premium. At times, there might just be a couple of names. Other times, you might find a couple dozen names. What you're going to do, you're going to check the stock's charts, the daily, the 233, and the 55. What you're looking for is to identify all of the likely potential support or resistance areas on the chart below where you'd be buying in. You need to identify those. And the reason why is, if a stock is going to gap on bad news, it is most likely to pause at one of those areas. You've got to understand what those are. The ideal setup in doing this is one where the cost basis is well below all of those potential support areas. And the cost basis is when you buy the stock and sell the calls. If you're reading through this the first time, don't try and digest it. Just write down what I'm saying, grab it. You can read it later. So what you're going to do with this, you buy stock and then you immediately sell the calls. Now there's a caveat on immediately. You don't have to do it in the next second. I would suggest you do it probably before the end of the day because if the news gets released and you haven't sold the calls, you just screwed the pooch, right? You, you blew the whole purpose in doing the trade. So you buy the stock and then sell the calls. What you can do, an easy way to do this, buy the stock using the 55 or the 34, okay? Let it run up and then sell the calls. That's why I say immediately I put a, an asterisk or a caveat on that. But again, don't wait too long. Now, if the price remains above your strike price, you'll keep max profit at expiration. If the stock stays above your cost basis, you'll be profitable. Each morning, what you do, it, this is very, very intent. Hey, okay, ready? This is very, very scientific. What you're going to do. On Q charts, on one of the line items on your watch list, you're going to have, if it's ABC stock, you have a line item for ABC. If that line, if when you look at it in the morning, if it's green, you're good. Don't ever look at it again the rest of the day. Very, very scientific. All you just want to be sure is that it didn't gap down huge against you. Okay? If you see a big red number there, now you got to go study it. See if it did. But if it's green or just down slightly, you're fine. Because okay? what you're trying to do 
you want to be sure and ensure that the stock hasn't gapped down below that cost basis or that those previously identified support areas. Because if it does, now you might have to take action. As long as it stays above there, you're fine. You'll either get mat, you'll get somewhere between max profit and break e or uh, profit. If it does gap down, what you're going to do then is check to see if the calls are deflated, i.e., how much time value is left. You may just elect to buy the calls back at a profit, sell the stock maybe at a loss, call it done, be done for the day. Okay? It's got less of a gain on the stock than you had originally expected, but you're still profitable because you made money on the calls. If you're confused, you're normal. Okay? So you buy stock, let it run up a little bit, sell calls. Here, I was an example right up here. So this is one I did a couple years back. So this is a pharmaceutical stock. It was trading at $6.50. Okay? So I bought however many shares I bought at $6.50 each. The $5 strike on the calls we're going for $2.50. Okay? So what I could do is I buy stock for $6.50. I then sold a $5 call, which means someone could buy the stock for me for $5. Bucks. Well, why would you do that? You'd lose $1.50. You're right, I do lose $1.50 on that, but I was given $2.50 up front, so I really make a buck, right? So I, I would net a dollar on a $6.50 investment. It's about a 15% ROI. Now, when I looked at the charts, the chart showed strong support at $6, at $5.50, at $5, and at $4.50. I had a lot of potential support areas. What's my cost basis again? Four bucks. Where did I, I saw like four levels of support above that. I was very comfortable that this would stay north of that. Is there a chance it could gap under that? Yes, absolutely. Which is why I don't do this in the trading account. I set up a different account for this because you can get clobbered on one of these. By my research, I knew there was a pending FDA announcement. It's a farm stock. If price were to gap before the options expire, there's a chance it could gap in my favor. Going up, it could also gap down. I got to be very comfortable that if it gaps down, it's going to pause long enough at one of those potential support areas that I can close the trade if I want to. It's not uncommon, I guess, better way to say it, it's common to see a handful of percent, maybe up to 15, something like that, on one of these trades. And that'll show up within a month. Okay? Suggestion when you do this, practice this a ton. You want to be very comfortable with this. Once you've got that, start with maybe five grand, parlay it into mid five figures. And then at that point, use the monthly gains to pay for something. If you want to donate the money, if you want to buy a toy car, a toy car, but a, you know, a play car, something like that, whatever you want to do, that's fine. Use it to buy the boat if you want. Use it for something fun, but have the money backed up in your income account. So if this trade goes to zero because it gets annihilated, you can still make the payment on the toy because there's always the chance that bad news could wipe it out. Do not do this on your income account. Do not do this on your income account. This can annihilate the income account. The guy that I know who's out of the Midwest, I talked to him a couple years, I think he's still doing this. Small town guy, he had, he's lived in the same small town for his entire life. He's probably 60, 65. Been trading for quite some time. He had a number of friends come up and said, can you manage a little money for me? And it's illegal for one to manage money for others unless you have a license. So he doesn't do it. And as he doesn't do that, the agreement that he had, and these are just friends, so it's a small group of people. What he did with that, he said, look, I, will, I can't guarantee I'll pay you the money every month, but I haven't not paid anyone yet. And I pay him at the rate of a point to a point and a half a month. He's given them basically one, somewhere between 12 and 18% of their money, of their money. I ran into him in the airport. In fact, I was flying with, I think it was Jackie. A couple years ago, we're flying, going back east to something. And I saw this guy in O'Hare, walking through, and he goes, Chris, hey, how you doing? I said, ah, I don't know how you're doing this. I said, how's it going? He said, it was May, and he was up 300% on the account. And let's see, he was paying a point and a half to his investors, so he was paying out about seven points, but making 300 on their money. Wow, nice. But he understands in doing this that the trade could get annihilated. So the people, he explained to them, I'm going to pay you a point and a half a month. So he had enough of his money in there as well as backup so he didn't break the relationship. But he's making nice money on their money. And they're thrilled. Not that he's making huge money, that they're getting 12 to 18%. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. But they're, thr it's not, they're thrilled that they're getting their, you know, 12, whatever it is. They could certainly learn how. Most people don't want to, hell, some of you don't want to do the work. And the army's showing you this shit. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Most people don't want to do the work. Yes. So his question is, if you buy stock, can you sell calls? If the stock is optionable, yes. His next question was, if he buys the stock and sells the calls, and now wants to sell the stock, what happens to those what are now naked calls? And the answer is, those are called naked calls. And you will, if the person wants to exercise you, you'll have to deliver stock to them. So when you're starting out, don't ever do that. Even when you're not ever doing that, it's not a wise thing to do until you have a lot of experience. The ROIs can be phenomenal. When you're starting off, yeah, don't mess with that. Until you so his question is, if you buy stock and sell calls, when can you sell the stock? The easy answer is buy back the calls and then sell the stock. So you wound up the trade to be you know, long stock, short call, unwind it, close out the calls. So now you just long stock, which means you own the stock and then just sell the stock. Yes. Cover call. Say it one more time. You're not selling it to me. You're selling it to the market maker. Right? Ooh. No. You're not selling it to me. Careful. Semantics. So you buy stock, and now you sell a covered call. Market maker. Because remember that diagram in the first class where we got, you know, who does the buying and selling of stock and options? Okay. So it's not that you make the... This is your question. Right? It's not that you make the market maker take the other side of the trade. What you're doing is on your trade sheet or on your... Um, What's your broker's page that shows your, your account balance and your net worth and your, your longs and shorts, what you own and what you owe. On there, it's going to say you own 1,000 shares of IBM. And then you also are short 10 contracts of an IBM call. Right? So it'll, it'll say 1,000 plus shares and minus 10 call contracts. Right? Now, if you want to close out the stock, what you have to do is you have to buy 10 offsetting calls. Right? And they just offset. So in the, I think in the way that the math works at, the, at expiration Friday, they just point to each other. They cancel each other out. Okay? And now once those are cleared out, now you can just go sell the stock and you're not on the hook for anything. And now your account balance has cash as opposed to equities and options. Okay? Cool. Okay? Go the other way. A buy, say it again, A does what? A sells a call option. It's not to B, to the market maker. Because, yeah, you, what you're thinking is, hey, if you sell it to the guy sitting in front of you, right, how do we unwind that? No, there's, a, there's an intermediary in the middle. And the, the mar that's the market maker. It's his or her job to take all the trades. That's what, that's what the bid ask is. That's the market maker's pricing. That's what I will buy at or sell at right now. Who provides it? Define what you mean by provide it. I think you're going too deep on shit. You don't need to worry about it. But go ahead. No, no, it's good. Because, you know, we'll go there and go, Chris, I need to know that. I go, I know. <laughs> so, so what happens is so you buy stock, right? And now you're going to sell a covered call if that's what you're looking to do. Okay, so now the market maker knows that, oh, sorry, on your broker's page, it says you're minus 10 contracts. You get 1,000 shares, you do 10 contracts. So you've got a covered call to cover those. You bring in a couple of bucks for it. Now, if you get exercised, okay, now what's going to happen is at the end of, on expiration Friday or Saturday, following expiration Friday, the CBOE, the options exchange, goes up and they match up all the stuff. They'll say, oh, this person is short calls, right? So you've sold them. Somewhere there's somebody that is long calls. It's, it might be the market maker. It might be me. And so I, I have the, since I own calls, I have the right to what? Buy stock. You sold the calls. What do you have to do? You're obligated to sell stock if asked. I have the right to buy. I'm going to buy the stock. Who am I going to buy it from? Someone that is obligated to sell. In this case, and you and I will never meet. The CBOE handles all that for us. But basically, they're going to pull it. The bro they're going to notify Schwab or whoever your broker is. Schwab will do it to them. It'll, pass, it'll end up in my account by Monday. Fascinating, but you don't need to know it. Biggest thing you got to know is because the other thing you want to think of is when you buy or sell stock or options, don't worry about what, why the other person is doing what they're doing. Why would they take that trade? Because it's the market maker. They have to. That's all it is. It's not you're trading against me. There's a guy in the middle of us. And it's their job to make the trade. Okay? Cool. Good question. Yes, sir. Is this going to be one I have a question where you're not going to ask? <laughs> Jenny Craig is a covered call technique when call premiums are very high. We're trying to capture the inflated call premium. Oh, I see what you're saying. I don't know where it's going to go because I've got this pending news event. The FDA announcement, as an example, I don't know if the FDA is going to say, hey, cure for cancer or, oh, no, cause of cancer. Right? So it causes stock to rocket up. It could cause it to go to the floor. When does this work? When should you do this? Inflated call premiums are inflated for a reason. 
There's some likely, there's some known event that's there. There's known volatility or likely volatility. The market maker doesn't want to get stuck with people going in and buying cheap options and then making a killing when the stock runs to the roof. They're going to charge you more to get in there. Where you'll see, and it's not, a, it's not the best place to use Jenny Craig. If you, and we're at a perfect time of year to study this. This week, find the, go to the earnings calendar. You all should do this. You'll learn something off this. Go to the earnings calendar. Find 50 companies. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Find 50 companies that are announcing earnings that you know are volatile. Jot them all down. And then what you want to do every day that they're announcing earnings, go to the options chain and look at the, end, the closing price on the day that they announce earnings. So if IBM is going to announce on Tuesday after the market, look at IBM's closing price on the current month option for an at the money. Right? And now look at it again the next morning. And hopefully on some of those, the stock won't gap. So you know, IBM will close, will close on Tuesday night at 200 bucks a share. It'll open you know, Tuesday or Wednesday morning at 250 cents. So it won't gap much. And what you'll see is in that no gap area, the option price will go from this much to that much and the stock price didn't move. That's called inflation. And on Wednesday morning, that's called an implied volatility crush, deflation. Basically the air went out of the balloon. I'm saying if you do 50, if you do it over 50 of this week, you'll find one and then you'll get the message. A lot of work, but compared to what? How you learn? How do you identify that price is inflated to begin with? When you get to the point of doing this, call me up and I'll show you how to set it up on a screener in your broker's trading platform. They've got a screener that can do that for you. But again, don't worry about this early on. Okay? In all the years I've been teaching this, no one has ever asked this many questions about this technique. Oh, good question. No. His question are the tickers with high premiums typically sector leaders? No. There's stocks that have known, known events coming. So it could, be an, it could be just some, I guess some Amgen people in the room, right? So Amgen, you go, that's a sector leader within biotech. But there might be inflated call premiums on, you know, I don't know, Acme Biotech, something that's nobody ever heard of, that no one has ever heard of, because they've got some pending FDA announcement that could cause or cure cancer. And so even though no one's ever heard about it, the call premiums are highly inflated because if this FDA announcement is good, it's going to rock it. And if it's bad, a lot of people are looking for work, as an example. It's an extreme example, but that's, that's kind of what you see. And so it's not for the sector leader. It's just but someone that's got an important announcement coming. Make sense? Okay, cool. Turn to your neighbor. Explain this to him. <laughs> see if you can do it. A couple minutes. Then after that, we'll one more page and we'll take a break. Just talking about this too, I think they're in the room. Someone that I know used not this technique, but this concept what they did is they had their kids' college fully funded. So they had college account for the kids taken care of. What they did was they set themselves a personal goal every month to make enough to pay for the kids' college on a monthly basis. Kid went to... No, he went to the expensive, the good one. The place that's a lifetime school, not a four-year school. Yeah, they went to SC. SC is expensive. It runs, I think her number was about five grand a month. And she set an objective to trade to make five grand a month. And while he was in school for four years, she made five grand a month and paid for his college and never touched his college fund. So it's all about how you, you know, the same concept, not using Jenny Craig, but using the idea of taking a pot of money and grow it and use it for something. It's however you want to do it is fine, but just think of the, the money management aspect and why you're doing that. Next piece. I should change. Well, you know, I'll still give Bernanke credit for it. At the time that I wrote this, the Fed was printing money like there's no tomorrow. And they're still doing it. So I'm going to keep it named after Bernanke, even though Yellen's on doing the same thing. So he's running the printing press, so we're going to call the printing press after him. All this is, it's a different way to think about owning stock for a period of time. This is not buy, hold, and pray, right? And it's not buy, hold, and sell in the next five minutes. It's similar to the income account. Now, some of you will look, and I urge you all of, all of you to practice this method because you have to do this in your trading career because this is what you're going to do in your long-term holdings. The same concept. The income account, some people like that because they say, hey, look, I'm going to go find a new victim at the rate of about one a month. Buy the stock, abuse it, and sell it, right? Treat it like a dirt employee. Let the price rise and sell it. Some people love that concept. They want to own, you know, 10, 12 stocks over the course of a year. 
Other people have the mentality of, I'd like to own the stock for a little while. I don't necessarily want to sell them so quickly. And if that's more of your approach or more of your thinking, you might like this better. The idea on the Bernanke approach, what you're going to do is you're going to buy stock when there's a 3x. So you get a triple cross just like anything else. So you're buying stock and you're doing this when the trend chart is neutral to rising. Now, once you buy stock for the Bernanke technique, you've got to, be, you've got to stay patient. What that means is you've got to wait for the stock to rise. And what we're going to do is as it rises or when it rises, rather than selling the stock, we're going to sell a covered call. Okay, so now we've given somebody the right to buy our stock from us. We've obligated ourselves to deliver should that person want to buy our stock. Before we sell the covered call, before we sell the call, we're waiting for a reversal signal on a daily chart. The calls we sell are those that are at or just above our cost basis. So on the first iteration, that's our, our purchase price. So if we buy the stock for 100 bucks and it rises to, let's say, 110 we're going to sell the $100 call. That's our cost basis. And if the stock is at 110 and we sell a $100 call, that says it's going to be worth at least $10, right? Because that's just the intrinsic value. There'll be a little bit of time in there too. Now what we're going to do is we're going to wait. The stock's going to fall. Ideally, it stays above 100, right? But the stock is going to fall. Let's say it bottoms out or wherever it bottoms out. It doesn't matter. And now as it starts to reverse and head back up, we buy back those calls. So we sold something for 10 plus. Let's say it bottoms out down around six. We're going to use that 10 plus dollars and buy back at six. So we've kept $4 approximately in our pocket. If our purchase price was 100, our new cost basis is now 96. Follow me? So the stock cost 100, we put four in our pocket, our new basis is now 96. As the stock rises again, let's say it gets back up to 110, I'm now gonna sell an option down near my cost basis. So I might sell a 95 strike. So now I picked up $15 this time, 15 plus a little bit of time. As it rolls back down, that call will deflate in value. Let's say it gets back down to the, what I say, 106 range? So it makes four bucks. I buy back the calls again. Now my cost basis is 92. It runs back up. Now I'm going to sell an option that is close to 92. That's all we're doing. Okay? Dollar for dollar. Dollar for dollar. His point was, he said, you have a huge delta. As you get deeper in the money, so as our cost basis reduces, the option that we're selling has oftentimes, if you do this a few times, the delta on that will approach one, if not be at one. What that means is that if, let's say, uh, let's say the stock keeps bouncing back and forth between 100 and 110, and we're able to capture, what do we say, six bucks of that? So we're not capturing the full 10 bucks, we'll capture about six of it. Every time we reduce our cost basis, let's say we've done this five times, so now my basis is down at 80, just to make the math easy. When it gets back up to 110, and now I'm selling, I'm getting $30. As the stock declines, if the stock drops 10 bucks, my option will drop 10 bucks. So I will get dollar for dollar on the option. I'll make dollar for dollar on the calls. It will offset dollar for dollar or very close to it on the stock. And I just do this again and again and again. Your first time going through this on the first move, do it with the daily chart. As that then rolls over as it recovers, if you want to be more active, then do it on the 55. And you'll see more opportunities there. And again, the idea is to try and get that cost basis as low as you possibly can. Because each time you're doing that, you're increasing your total ROI. You do it as often as possible and as long as possible. How active is this? Doesn't take a lot of time. I mean, none of this stuff takes a lot of time. It's just the discipline to do it. An example on this one that I wrote up for you, so rather than doing the verbal one that I just did, you buy a stock at 39. You watch it rise on the daily chart and you get a reversal signal at about 47. Okay, we're going to sell the call that is at our cost basis. So if we bought at 39, the $40 call would be at about our cost basis. If the stock is at 47, we know it, there's going to be at least $7 of value there, right? Because we can get something for 40 that's currently at 47, there's $7. Let's assume there's a little bit of time, 50 cents to a buck and a half. Stock then falls, bottoms out at about 43, stalls out. We're going to buy back those calls. So what we sold for 750, I'll take the low end of that. If the stock is now at, 
what I say, at 43, there's going to be a little more, more time value there. So let's take the worst case. I'll buy it for five bucks. So it says I put 250 in my pocket. So I sold for 750, bought back for five. That says now that my basis went from 39 minus 250. So now I've got a basis now of 36 and a half. I now watch the stock rise again up to 46. I'm now watching the 55 minute chart. When it reverses, I'm going to sell the 38 call. Minimum I'll get off that's about six bucks, likely six and a half to seven, 50 cents to a buck of time. I'm now going to watch the stock fall again. Let's say it gets back down to 41. Stalls out. I'm going to buy back those calls. Make a couple of bucks there. You just keep doing this over and over and over. You sell calls when you see the stock is heading down. You buy them back after the decline. You do this for as long as you want to continue holding the stock. When you do this, you become Bernanke because you're creating money out of thin air. Which option do you sell? You either want to sell this month or next month. Okay? So do, yeah, when you're selling options, don't sell five months of time. Whenever you're selling options, sell this month or next month. So the question is, how often can you do this? And the answer is, it depends how volatile the stock is and how available you are to watch the 55-minute chart. So easy way to go back and find a stock that moves around a lot and look how many opportunities you see on a 55 over the course of a few months. You'll be able to see that. Actually, it's pretty lucrative. Um, but it's, it's, it sounds weird. There's nothing in the stock market that's work. But this is a lot of work, relatively speaking. There's no on an income account, you buy stock, check it, nothing. Check, oh, there it is, exit, you're done. On this one, you got, that's a job. Yeah, you got to watch it a lot. A lot doesn't mean you're not watching the screen. I mean, you got to check it a couple times a day. That's 10, 15 seconds. But so, I mean, I'm being a smart ass, but it, it, it's kind of a pain in the butt. Because so you just dump the whole thing, go back to cash, and you've got more of a fresh mind. Some people love this because they really want, they prefer the idea of owning stock for a period of time. I don't mind just buy it, use it, and dump it. It doesn't bother me at all. But other people want to hold it for a period of time. Everybody has to do this. Why? To understand it. Why? No. Why? Long term. Yeah, because I said so. That's one reason. What's the real reason? Because this is your long-term holdings. This is what you do with your long-term holdings. Yep. That same exact concept. So your question is, do this on daily or 55? Year. So you buy the stock at 100, it runs up. It rolls over. That you're going to see on the daily. So you catch the first big move off the daily. And now as it's doing, it's chopping around. Now you're going to get more frequent on the 55. So your first, your first move, your, what you're trying to do on the first move is to take a big chunk out of the cost basis. So you do that off a daily chart because it's a daily entry. Do I use? I have used all of them. I don't do the end of, occasionally we'll do the end of day one. Today, the warning stuff, I mean, I use them. I don't know how many times a year I do. A handful of times a year. This one I do regularly. Yeah, because this is the long-term holdings. I won't do this per se on, I shouldn't say that because I've done it on my income account too. It really just depends on what the market has given me. What other ones have we talked about? Splits all the time, earnings all the time. It really goes, yeah, it kind of goes back to what is your eye drawn to and is that what the market's given you? Because there'll be times that if my eye is drawn, I, I love Bollinger slingshots. I can spot those across the room. And that doesn't mean, don't do them just because I like them, but those jump out at me. There are other people in the room that are really good at doing range-bound stocks. You could tell me that's a range-bound stock. I can't see it. You could write it, you know, big block letters in a Sharpie. I, I don't see that. But a, a slingshot I see across the room. And so my eye is drawn to those. So I'll tend to do more of those. And it doesn't mean that I'm, be I'm just better at them. But I found that I don't do the range-bound ones really well. But the other people that can't do a slingshot, if you hand it to them on a plate, you just, you got to try all of them. And, and you'll find there'll be some that you do less worse than others. And there's some that you just stink up the joint. On the ones you stink up the joint, you know what you're not going to do. Focus on the ones you don't do as bad. You just get better at it. So his question is, it's time of year, it's market calendar, it's experience. Exactly. Yep. I don't, is that a fair answer? It's, it, that's exactly what it is. It's time and work. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> that's not the answer for everything. Mm -hmm. Understand. Understand. Yeah. So, the, a lot, what, so what he's talking about is a stunt. The Bollinger Bands go like an alligator, right? They're wide, they're narrow, they're wide, they're narrow. All it is is volatility, no volatility, volatility, no volatility. What he's saying is, is if it walks bands, when it goes to no volatility and they're squeezed, when they start to spread, what he's doing is he's looking for those that are tight and they're, they're starting, the bands are spreading and they're just walking that upper band. He's just riding the upper band, right? Chris, you do more of those, I think. Chris, you do more of the, where the bands are tight and then it spreads. You'll do the ones where you look to walk the upper band. Your eye is more drawn to that. Yeah. 
So he sees those more. He'll do those more than I do. He'll show me, oh, yeah, there it is. I mean, when he points it out, I can see it, but he's got a point. I don't, my eye doesn't go naturally to think that way. I'm more about the slingshot kind of snapping back in. But, yeah, exactly, exactly. So his question is, what happens when, so the stock runs up, you sell a call, and you thought it was going to fall, and it ends up taking off to the roof. What happens? You get exercised. Yeah, that's it. Go find the next one. Go find the next one. So what will happen at some point doing this, you are going to get exercised, right? The, you are going to get, it's going to happen. And when that happens, you either say, woohoo, I'm finally out of that one. Or you say, oh man, that was a great stock. I, I got to find another entry. So there are last year in, hey, doing this, sound like I'm plugging fast drive. You said earlier, so I'll plug fast drive. There was a student in there, when we talk about a technique that's similar to this, I said, look, when you, if you do this technique right, the stock will get taken out and you'll be pissed off. You made like 30, 35%. And they kind of laughed. And she came in a couple months later. She said, I can't believe it. I'm pissed off. I made 30, 35% because it kept running. I could have made 60. Yeah, they, they got exercised. And so they sold it. And I think they were, if I remember right, I think they were supposed to buy back and they missed the buyback. And it went, and like, oh, I was in such a beautiful, lovely thing. And I only got 30 out of it. And, they're, and I'm joking them, saying, it's the one place you can come in the room and get a hug. People feel bad you only got 30, right? Because you understand, and it, it, it just happens. It just happens. No, I understand. But again, but they're looking at the, look what the opportunity cost was. Look what they really had. Yeah, go. Cool. On this one? Yeah, so his question is, do you do this? Remember, this is not long-term holdings. This is more, this is like an income account. It's an income account trade. So rather than buying stock, you know, rather than buying ABC split stock to run it up from 100 to 110, we're buying the stock at 100 to catch the moves as it's doing this because we want to stay in longer. And you want to do, you got to practice this. Everyone, I don't mean, you got to practice everything, but this is the one you definitely want to do because this is the same technique or the same idea you use for your long-term holdings. We're doing covered calls on basically what's going to be the majority of your wealth over time. Sure. Uh-huh. Because you don't trust yourself. So his question was, if you, on your long-term holdings, do you, if, I mean, tell me if I got the question right, Steve. On your long-term holdings, you got 1,000 shares of whatever the stock is, and you're going to go sell calls. Do you sell calls on all 1,000 shares, or you just do it on seven in case you're wrong? You didn't say it that way, but that's what I heard. In case it keeps going without you, which means you're wrong. <laughs> what did he just say? What's the worst that could happen is you get taken out. On your long-term holdings, we'll cover this a little bit later, there are criteria that you use. The objective on long-term holdings is not to get called out. The objective on this is to get called out. Yes. You got it. You got it. Okay. No. <laughs> Wait, can you ask a question? Or can... mm -hmm. Yes. Fast track. We do that. Totally do that. So what we do is we divide deep in the money call and not tie up 100 grand. We tie up about 20 grand. Yeah, that's all we do. Huge ROI. You got it. This is exactly what we do. Uh-huh. Yes. Is it possible that when you buy at 39, the trade rolls over on the very next day? What you're saying? Traders. Uh-huh. So his question is, if you buy the stock, you sell a call, and then the stock craters, what happens? Well, if it craters big enough, you can't get exercise. Nobody would pay more than what it's worth. So, then the, so what you do, this is another technique to dig yourself out of a hole. Because think about this. When we used the example before, Remember who asked the question? I said, you buy the stock at 100, now it drops to 60, right? And, you know, you're trying to recoup the $40, but you miss $40 of movement, right? Going, you know, 60 to 70, 70 to 60, all that. Basically, you're going to use that technique to capture all that movement within while you're trying to build, your, dig yourself out of the hole. The easiest thing to do, honestly, when you end up with a large loss, close the trade. Close the trade. And you say, well, yeah, but I don't want to take the loss. You have a loss. Money's gone. Well, and now you don't have to take it, but you know, if you bought the stock at 100 and it drops down to 60, you think, oh, I could never tell my spouse I just took a 40% hit. So I'll just hang on and it'll come back eventually, right? Well, you've already taken a, you got a $40 loss. You just haven't converted it to cash yet, right? Your net worth dropped by 40 bucks. Take the, when you go to cash, you think much more clearly when you're in cash to jump in to catch the, because then you'll catch the next stock from 60 to 63, and be glad to get it as opposed to watching that existing go 60, 63, uh, not enough, it drops back down. You think much more freely and intelligently when you're in cash. All right, questions on Bernanke? Beat that dead horse? We good? Okay. Remember on all this stuff, jot down what I'm saying. Don't try and digest it. 
You're not going to be able to digest it here. Write it all down, go home, you'll think about it, and then when you hear it again the next time, the pieces will start to fall in place. Funny, on the break, some, I was up here, people were asking questions. Just about to start, and someone said, do you ever get a break? I'm like, no, I really don't. He said, don't you have to go to the bathroom? I was like, no. It's like, oh, man, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Planted the seed. So it's his fault that we're starting up a couple minutes late. I'd have been able to go like an elephant for a while. Or a camel, I mean. Next piece is the OEX. Key piece on this. If you work 8 to 5, do not trade an index. If you work 8 to 5, and what I mean by that is if you can't see the market during the day, do not trade an index. You're gonna, it's suicide. You will die, and it will not be a slow death. It'll be quick <laughs> and bloody and brutal. Don't even try. The OEX is the index of 100 stocks. Wide range of industries make up the S&P 100. You've got the S&P 500, which everybody knows. The OEX is the S&P 100. It is much less susceptible to news that will hit individual stocks. Trades on the OEX can be made intraday or can hold them over a few days. Totally up to you. If you're doing intraday OEX, you have to be able to see the market during the day. You've got to be able to see the market. These things move fast. The rules for the OEX are specific to the OEX. Don't apply these to other stocks. My suggestion, notice it's bolded. It says, practice trade the OEX. Do not trade real money. It moves fast and it bites very hard. It will not just nip at you, it will bloody you, okay? Practicing this will teach you to be nimble and quick. Also, it's gonna give you a very hard and painful lesson on what happens if you're not nimble and quick. Okay? I'd much rather you learn that lesson on paper than with real money. This thing moves like a freight train when it's moving. You've got to be in no hesitate mode. You got a question? Uh, it's an index. It's an index. With the OEX, different than others, you buy this month's options. Only with the OEX do you buy this month's options. We're not buying a bunch of time. You buy the strike that has the most volume that's no more than five strikes out of the money. So we're going to look at volume of an option. How much option is being traded this month's options? I'm going to look at five strikes out by the one that has the most volume. Again, this only applies with the OEX. I'm looking for my entries, my triple crosses on a 55 or a 34. For a precise entry then, I use either the eight or the five, depending. Because it's an intraday chart, right? Remember, it's a 55 or a 34. So the trade chart's an intraday chart. Because of that, if you just do math on the number of candles, the trade's going to last a few hours up to potentially a couple of days. Don't stay in too long. You close the OEX trades no later than three hours before the close of expiration Friday. Why do you think that is? You will learn some very wonderful profane words to describe the market maker. If you're trying to get out near the close, he knows or she knows you got to get out. They won't let you out without a painful lesson. Trust me, don't learn it on your own. Okay? Do not stay in on expiration Friday any closer than about three hours to expiration. The market maker knows you got to get out. He's going to make it very painful, beneficial for him for you to leave. Trust me. Don't learn it on your own. Take, learn from my experience. You heard me say I used to be seven feet tall. Okay, two trading windows to watch for opportunities every month. The six to seven day window that encompasses the last three to four trading days of one month, followed by the first couple of days in the next month. And then also the eight trading days before expiration Friday. So it's expiration week and probably about Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of the prior week. You tend to see a lot of volatility in those two time frames. So it's the six or seven days at the end of the end and into the beginning of the next month. And then the eight days or so before expiration Friday. The options move incredibly fast. If you hesitate, crunch, blood, guts, pain, death. Any other good words you can think of? Don't stay in. Yeah, tears would be nice. I'd settle for that. This literally, it's like you're trying to pick up dimes in front of a steamroller that's moving fast. It's not worth it. Markham Maker is not nice. 
you'll especially learn he's not nice with the OEX. As you get to expiration Friday, do I need to keep hammering on that? Okay, you get the message, get out by then. You're going to find as you go through this, there's a bunch of, somebody's asking about techniques that I've used or that I use more commonly. You're going to find even, I think last, last week we talked about splits. This time we've talked about earnings. We talked about end of day trade. And then we talked about a couple man, money management approaches. Now we've got the OEX. You may find that you do splits really well. And you may find that you just stink at doing the OEX. You just can't get your head around it. Perfect. Find it out with paper money. And you may hear that the person sitting next to you does really well on the OEX. Just because they're doing well doesn't mean that you should try. If you've tried and have proven you can't do it well, trust your results and stick to what you do well. So if you can't, try the OAX, you got to practice it to see. But if it ends up you suck at it, say, I, pl I proudly wear the I suck hat, put it on, and I can't trade the OAX and don't do it. doesn't matter if someone, because when the people do well at this, they do really well. It'd be very lucrative. But them being good at it doesn't equate to you being good at it. Okay? So don't let that cloud your judgment. You're not going to be good at all this stuff. Figure out what you do well and then focus on those.